0: We are finding story of the past and now. From South Australia, I am a story tourer. From the sea to the outback, the southern ocean where the living sea dragon live, where the last sailing sheep of the windjammer sail along the Spencer Gulf where the last sowing sheep called in and the namescape of the vendor ranges of the Rod Hops and Sturt Disney pea flower of the upback. Lindall have agreed to do a podcast. Sam um, should do the podcast. so thank you very much. Pleasure. Where is Timessa um, in South Australia? Yes
1: yeah, so we're on the banks of the Port River and we're heading out towards the mouth of the river. So we're quite close. We're about you know a 20 minute uh, slow boat ride from Port Adelaide itself.
0: When did Ku Jason port here yep. and um, there was some people from Port Adelaide. We're concerned about that.
1: Yes. Okay. So there were a couple of sites that were considered for a quarantine station, and this is in the 1870s. One was Kangaroo Island, and one was Wadang Island. Um, But ports are really the best places to have them because you can get people off a ship and to the quarantine station quarantine station pretty quickly. Now there was a bit of resistance in Port Adelaide because in the 19th century, people didn't really understand how diseases were spread. And there was a fear that they were spread through noxious gases or miasmas. And people in Port Adelaide thought that those disease carrying gases might float over the river to Port Adelaide and infect them.
0: I guess uh, this is really, uh, the early, what, my late eighteen hundred, early nineteen hundred. Wouldn't they first may have put tents here first?
1: Interesting ways of quarantine, quarantining people early on in uh, European settlement. So they used to stick them on a hulk. So that was a ship that was no longer working in the middle of the Port River, but some people jumped ship and would swim to shore. So it wasn't really doing the job. And then they had a temporary um, quarantine station of tents set up on the north of Lefevre Peninsula. And then in the 1850s, they did erect a few buildings, but it was mainly tents um, under the current site of AGL, which is on the other side of Torrens Island.
0: So I'm looking around here, and it's uh, like a uh, being like a doctor here, a hospital, and you, from the tour you were said to be they divide them up in different, like single blokes, single women, manu couples. So you would like to uh, talk about that?
1: Yeah, So the whole of Torrens Island was divided according to foul and clean areas according to gender, male and female, according to class. So the same class structure that existed on the ship, so first, second, steerage, crew, um, it it applied to the island as well. So everything was highly structured. You had an area here where people who weren't considered too contagious at the time were kept. And then you had an isolation compound and people who were infectious or sick were kept in that area. We have a waiting room and there was a female entrance and a male entrance we have a bathing block and there's a foul entrance and a clean entrance but there's also an entrance for first and second class passengers and an entrance for steerage and crew so everything was divided around that sometimes it it worked we noticed in photos from the 1920s that the bathing block in the first class entrance, it was actually women lining up to use the plunge baths and men lining up to use the showers. So perhaps some of those class distinctions were were a little bit muted on the station.
0: The young kids would have come with the parents. So did they have school here?
1: No, actually, I don't think there was a school here. Remember, they were only here really. Two weeks was a pretty long period to be here. So... What they did, the passengers were really resourceful and usually someone from um, the passengers would stick up their hand and say, look, I'll help with recreational activities and they'd organise sporting events and musical events and I think, you know, if there were any people on board who were teachers, they might have organised sort of ad hoc classes for the, for the kids. It's quite possible. I haven't come across every ref- any reference to it but as I said, they were resourceful and they were wanting to make their time on the island as enjoyable as possible.
0: I must just go back a little bit. So what? What did, did is disease like? We got the COVID nineteen today and I heard since the COVID nineteen was a Spanish flu, and and something about smallpox. guess it was something about that. And what era are we talking about?
1: Smallpox was the thing that the disease that everyone feared for many centuries. Uh, they were really frightened of it here. So I guess. Quarantine stations were set up to stop the spread of smallpox. Uh, the first stations in Australia were really responding to um, a cholera pandemic, which was a really nasty disease. And then, obviously, after the end of World War One, we had the Spanish influenza epidemic, and that was real or pandemic, and that was really really serious. And we did have people quarantined here. Um, to stop the spread of that disease. We had about five burials at the Torrens Island Quarantine Station. They weren't returning soldiers, but they were merchant seafarers, so men working on ships. And, yeah, five deaths there. And then plague was also something. We think of plague, the bubonic plague, you know, 17th century England, the great fires that eradicated it, but it was still a risk even in the early 20th century. And there were two plague outbreaks in Adelaide, one in 1900 and one in 1909. Um, Some of those um, ill people did come to the station to be treated. Even if they died in Adelaide, Royal Adelaide Hospital, they were buried at the station because that was the safest option.
0: Uh, Smallpox, but I don't really know what they are. Do you know what what that did to you?
1: Oh, smallpox was nasty. Um... Essentially, your skin would erupt in these horrible um, pustules and sores. Um, you, in the end, you stank as well. It was a horrible killer. If you survived it, your face and your body would be scarred. Um, and there were a lot of famous people who did survive it. Queen Elizabeth the First had; um, she suffered from smallpox. Um, they bas- basically they developed a way of dealing with it quite early on so people understood that if you got smallpox and this might be in the 17th century if you survived it you didn't have it again so there was this understanding that if you had a mild case then you were protecting yourself so they used to people used to try and inoculate each other so they'd get a scab from someone who'd survived smallpox and they'd make an incision on un- on the skin and they would tuck that scab underneath it and that was called inoculation the problem was that you were still infectious even though you might not have come down with with smallpox seriously so vaccination was developed by a man called edward jenner who noticed that um, dairy maids were protecting themselves using cowpox now cowpox still helped protect you against smallpox but it meant you weren't infectious. You couldn't spread the disease throughout the community. So it was a matter of inserting those cowpox scabs under your skin. And that's where that term vaccination comes from, vacca is the Latin word and also Spanish word for cow. And even at that time, there were great anti-vaccination protests. People thought it was unnatural to stick cowpox scabs under your skin. It was against the will of God. And there were cartoons showing people growing horns and all that sort of thing. So these anti-vaccination debates aren't that new.
0: So the, while we did a tour, you were saying that with the clothes and the bags and for coming had to be go for like a steam machine i'll let you explain what they do
1: yeah so i was talking about when i was taking the um visitors through i was talking about how you were people were processed and that that processing began on the ship so people who were going to the quarantine station it was only sick people or the contacts of sick people were given two bags a blue bag and a white bag in the white bag. They put clothes that need a change of clothes in the blue bag. They put items that couldn't be steamed in an autoclave. And uh, they were given three numbers, one number they kept one numbered disc they put on the white bag, and one numbered disc they put on the blue bag. Those bags were sent ahead of them and went through the disinfection chamber. So um, the blue bag through the fumigation chamber and things like Zyklon B were used to disinfect those items. And then the others went through a steam chamber called an autoclave. When they arrived here, they had to go to the bathing blocks. They were given a number then. They had to find their number on the outside of a cubicle in the bathing block whether it was a shower or a bath they went through the door they took off their clothes they put it in a wire basket that was later collected by an a quarantine station assistant they had their shower which was diluted was in water doused with phenol or carbolic acid and then they went into the third cubicle and their fresh clothes that had been disinfected in that white bag were waiting for them, and they put them on. So everything was run on almost military lines, actually. And once they got inside that bathing block, they couldn't get out. It was locked behind them because they didn't want people coming out and contaminating the clean areas and vice versa. So it was all very, very tightly controlled.
0: So uh, what type of houses did they live leave in?
1: Okay, so in the 19th century, Um, They were basically tent accommodations, so very ephemeral, um, very basic. In the 20th century, um, there was a lot more building works on the station. The oldest building on site is an 1879 wooden cottage that was bought out from the United States in 1879. It was built in 1878, came out flat-packed, and then was reassembled here. Now, there were 30 of those cottages that came out, and they accommodated families, very basic, a couple of beds, a little wardrobe area, a sink. Um, There was also dormitory accommodation. So that's all disappeared now, but there were uh, single men's dormitories, single women's dormitories, and there were bathing blocks for families and um, the dormitories connected by Uh, covered walkways, there was a big dining hall where people ate together, there was a recreation hall, so a lot of buildings, as I said, only about a quarter of the buildings that were once here are still currently on the site.
0: Okay, Um, so how many acres do they hold for the houses?
1: Well, it was about, the whole site covered about 550 hectares, I think, need to check that. But... Um, you know, we walk past now the 1879 cottage and essentially that road would have continued and you would have had rows of cottages and dormitories lining that road. So it was almost like um, a self-contained town because remember, this was an island. The only way to get to this place until 1962 when they built the bridge was by boat. So it had to make sure it had its own water. So there's water tanks all over the site. It had to generate its own power. So there's a huge boiler house that generated the steam and was connected to a generator that made electricity. They had their own sewerage pump and they bought in food and prepared it here.
0: Um, just About the food, so where, where did, would the food come from them to, to live here?
1: Okay, so initially, when there was a quarantine episode, they would bring food from the ship. So some of the supplies from the ship would come to the quarantine station. Then they would order in supplies. So they had, I've seen the lists at the National Archives and elsewhere, and they had extensive lists on what was required um, to be brought in, and that would come via the quarantine launch. So either the Chiopas, which was the first quarantine launch, or the Aedes. And they had really nutritious food because they wanted to keep people healthy.
0: Uh, so that they had good good food here because that's where I had to get it get it um order it on uh online so <laughs> oh yes i did they it online to had to had to do it
1: yes yeah, so they would have had to order it from um uh, suppliers in port adelaide Port Adelaide I guess, that was the closest I think they did have have vegetable gardens here as well, so people lived on site, a handful of people lived on site as caretakers and they would have cultivated vegetable gardens and there would have been a bit of fresh produce, they also decided it was a good idea to raise to breed rabbits here and you can imagine how that ended up, (laughs) not well unfortunately, they might have been able to eat rabbits but they overrun the island and also fishing too, I mean people could fish but really supplies were brought in from Adelaide probably on the quarantine launch or maybe
0: the other little vessels uh, so it would have come over on a on a catch.
1: Uh, probably not a catch I think at this stage it would have just been coming from you know it's not a it's not a long distance to Port Adelaide so yeah
0: what did I do for uh, to relax? I, I heard you talk about going to the beach
1: just staying at the station to, for two weeks to see if any disease would reveal itself, so it was the incubation period usually of smallpox, then you could wander fairly freely. But the mangroves that now line um, this site, which is fantastic, because it's good to have healthy mangroves, they didn't exist, so it was just a beach, and people used to come down here and swim, and they really enjoyed fishing from the jetty, and they organised games, and you know, one of the stories I told was of the Ormuz, which was a ship that arrived in 1901, And it had been declared free of disease, but then a health inspector found a case of smallpox. By that time, the journalists, local journalists, had already boarded the vessel. So they had to be quarantined along with everyone. And they had a great time. They set up um, their own newspaper, which they called the Yellow Flag and Torrens Island Terror. And they redubbed the island Muddle Island and they called its capital, the quarantine station, Variola. And they'd reported, you know, it was a fairly relaxed place to be. People quite enjoyed it. The only frustrating thing would have been if you were ill, it wouldn't have been pleasant. And if you were desperate, if you'd had a really long sea voyage and you were desperate to be reunited with people and get along, get on with your new life, it would have been a bit of frust- it would have been a bit of frustration that you couldn't actually start that process. But it wasn't a horrible place to be in summer, forty-five degrees. We only get those temperatures now, really, don't we? Um, mosquitoes, snakes—maybe that was a bit challenging. But otherwise, I don't think people had the worst time here.
0: I just looking around here. Um, it's a, a, a cool nice day and we only have some she -She oak and if I look around here the beach I could see the mangoes around here
1: so um, yeah look even when in the 19th century even when there was a quarantine station here this was an incredibly popular place for picnics and when i'm saying picnics i mean the sort of annual picnics you know organised by the government dockyards or the south australian police force or the ricobites association or the local presbyterian church so they would organise for launches boats to bring up people to um, the island and sometimes the caretaker here i think it was william oh no I can't remember his name but what the caretaker would let them use the dining hall as well and they would have food and drinks and sporting events and it was a pretty fantastic time and the more reading I've done the more I realise that this was incredibly popular and we're not talking about 200 people we're talking about a thousand people on the island at one time. Um, regarding animal quarantine that started at the same time as human quarantine. So 1879, the first animal quarantine facility was set up. It was originally under the site of the present day AGL power station, um, moved over over this way next to the human quarantine station in the 1920s, I think. So certainly when it came under the Commonwealth. Um, Dogs and cats were kept actually um, on the human quarantine station. So that would have been a nice diversion for people here. Um, and other animals, like livestock, were kept um, in the adjoining site. And there's only a few buildings uh, left connected to that animal quarantine. So there's old horse stables. They're still there next to the origin site. But it was a really, really important um, facility for protecting, you know, protecting our state, our colony, from the invasion of um, diseases that could decimate local flocks. So really, really important.
0: Uh, if if someone wants to do this tour, uh, what uh, how do they make a contact to, to make a booking?
1: Okay, so they should keep an eye on the South Australian Maritime Museum website. Um, we have a page dedicated to Torrens Island tours, and they just keep keep an eye out for new dates. Um, We really stop running them over summer because it just gets too hot out here. It's not a pleasant experience. The tours are $30 and you make your own way out to the station um, in your car, but you also get a ticket for the day to the South Australian Maritime Museum. So it's really, really good value. And the tour lasts for about an hour and a half.
0: Have you got a DVD or books that people could buy?
1: Oh, we were just discussing this recently that we we need someone needs to write a history of the quarantine station. It hasn't been done. There's been reports, but no history. There's been there's a wonderful book um, that was published by Wakefield on the internment camp. We didn't really talk about that, but there was an internment camp here in 1914 15. It's Peter Monteith and Mandy Paul. Um, otherwise. We are developing, the South Australian Maritime Museum are developing an exhibition called The Island on the History of Human Quarantine, Animal Quarantine, Interment and the Environment, Ghana History, which we will open in the middle of next year. And hopefully there's some publications and other materials associated with that.
0: Well, I hope that you contact me and I'll make a podcast when you do it
1: absolutely because i feel like i am going to know everything there is to know about the station once i finish that exhibition and it will be very very interesting this is a story that not a lot of people know about but as we know it is so topical and so relevant right now
0: that's why i'm i'm doing that podcast from the past before it's gone forever so i'm doing that that's why i've done a little bit of my father history and i'm going around there looking at different uh where I couldn't make a podcast, where before it's all gone for forever. So, so have you got any more? Do you want to say?
1: Oh, maybe just talk about the internment camp too, because it's a story that everyone's interested in. So, in 1914, um, a camp was set up here for enemy aliens. It was um, mainly Germans that had been rounded up from various areas in South Australia, but there were some other nationalities as well. There were over 300 people. Initially, it was quite a good experience. It was, um, they set up their own cafe, the Kaiser Cafe. They published their own newspaper, the Kamerad. They had drama societies and uh, musical groups. But then a new... um, Commandant, um, uh, commander of the camp, came on board, and his name was Captain Hawkes, and he wasn't a nice person at all. Um, there were awful uh, cases of abuse where he'd, you know, flogged prisoners, and he fired his gun into a tent full of prisoners or internees at least one occasion. And um, unfortunately, one of the people, or perhaps fortunately, that he targeted was um, a U.S. national, and he contacted the U.S. consul and reported these crimes and the station was quite or the camp was quietly closed in 1915 internees sent to holsworthy or sent back into the community and watched and there was a big investigation into what went on on torrens island um, after the war finished so that is a story we tell there's not there's not any evidence of that campsite there were two campsites one next to the quarantine station one under the agl site but it is a really interesting story and very
0: Thanks. Lindell for today for make, for spending time to, for talking about the quarantine on times of Ireland. I have really enjoyed today and I'm for sure that people who listen to this podcast will also enjoy the podcast. This is Gavin Burner doing a podcast for for from the sea to the app back. Okay.